Beloved Church of God, let us stand, let us begin our service before God and stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, ignorance, covetousness, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present this service to your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. The book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 45-48. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Called to perfection. This promised commandment, and I want to make a highlight here, commandment, because a commandment is a decree. A commandment was never an offer or an alternative. A commandment is a decree. You will say, what kind of decree is this? To be perfect, sometimes people come up to me and says, please pray for me. said, I will not pray for you because... You don't have the correct state of heart. You don't need those heights, those promises. People say, I don't need those pro promises. I just want to be saved. Please pray so that I can be saved. I said, no, this is the incorrect state of heart. You are violating the commandment of God. Let us read again. Uh, the paragraph the pastor has read numerously that this is a promised commandment not an offer not an alternative but a commandment decree that is written in the book of matthew and is presented to us in the series of sermons of pastor akadi on sundays it is the inheritance of saints of all time and it is addressed by christ to by christ to his disciples and therefore those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment. And so, we have stopped to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a person, expressed in the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or selective love. 
Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. According to this passage, the rule of the peace of God, or the rule of the righteousness of God, in our hearts is possible only under one condition. If the selective love of God will dwell in our hearts and we will be clothed in the selective love of God. The character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven unearthly virtues, and this is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2-8. through 8. And here are these seven virtues. It is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. We have heard that each of these virtues of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristic of all other virtues because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another. These virtues are the moral perfections and standards that are inherent that are inherent to the essence of God through Christ, and they are given to us through Christ which we must become enriched with. And to enter into the inheritance of these virtues is possible only by accepting the Holy Spirit as Lord and ruler of our life and the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. By inheriting these great and precious promises, we are made partakers of God's essence. Therefore, in order for us to have these characteristics and in order for us to partake to God's essence, to the divine essence, we need to have these qualities. And to have these qualities, it is necessary for us to have the good soil of a heart that is prepared for these qualities. A Christian must have a good heart. For how does this message start? Apostle Paul says, for us, to make or apply certain energy or strength. And he said, therefore, putting aside all diligence, show in your faith, show what? Virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. And show them in what? In faith. And Pastor has explained to us that all these qualities can be demonstrated in faith only in, a good, in the good heart of a person. And you, placing all diligence, show in your faith virtue and through virtue all of these qualities. In faith. So the heart must be prepared, must be prepared to hear this word and in order for these characteristics to become our characteristics. Also, you remember when Moses had given a law, the Ten Commandments, and before saying, let there be no other gods before you, do not speak the Lord's name in vain, honor the Sabbath, honor your parents, do not, do not kill, do not lie, and do not... Uh, des desire what is beyond your neighbor's fence. He first said, very interestingly, and therefore, listen, Israel. This is the first commandment. Listen, O Israel, the statutes and commandments so that you can live and inherit all of that which God gives you. Pay attention here. How? How Peter, how Apostle Paul, same thing as Moses. Before the law of God is offered, the uplifted and magnified law of God, it began with the words, and therefore, listen, Israel. Apostle Paul says, using all diligence, show in your faith, meaning faith is from hearing. So the heart, we will say in other words, the heart must be prepared in order for us to 
Accept this word in the format of the preached word, which will then allow these characteristics to manifest themselves in life. Again, why do we need the heart? We need the heart so that a prepared heart can accept the characteristics of God in the preached word, in the information. This is what is unique about the Christian faith teaching. Here is where they are, the characteristics of God. Here they are. For a Christian, they are found here. And now this must find its place in the good heart. Truth plus the good heart is equal to the characteristics of God. And this is very important to understand. And talking about these characteristics, we have defined that the first quality that we demonstrate in our faith in the good soil is virtue. Virtue in which we have agreed from the origin and source of all good, it is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is His Word of God that is anointed by the Holy Spirit. This is His Zion, His Church, the messengers of God that give the Word of God to us. It is our heart that accepts this Word and where virtue expresses itself. Here are all sources of virtue. After virtue, God then allows us to go to uh, knowledge. Only when we have defined the good sources of good, only then do we go to the quality self-control. And pastor, pa- uh, Scripture views us as wise, because now it is not that I cons- what I consider good and evil, but what God, what His Majesty calls good and what He calls as evil. And He gives this through the preached word the preached word of his messengers. The third thing that we arrive to after our knowledge is self-control. Having received revelation about what is good and what is evil, now we, in this quality, self-control, now we choose what is good and reject what is evil. Having received this opportunity, we then go to the fourth step, patience. Now that which God calls good, I look at it and I wait for the fulfillment of what I have seen in patience until this promise is revealed. Fifth, after this, here we have godliness, godliness, where I continue to be sanctified and withhold from that which God calls evil. All of these qualities give me, bring me to the sixth state, which is brotherly love, which is going from death to life because we love our brethren. And from this, we define our passage from death to life. Without brotherly love, we cannot make this passage. And having gone from the state of death to the state of life, we enter into the agape agape love where we have our coronation, the selective love of God. And therefore, the selective love of God expressed in the seven earthly virtues and characteristics has nothing in common with the nature of tolerant human love that is filled with ignorance, selfishness, and inconsistency. And apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the unconditional, selective love of God differs in that it carries the all-consuming zeal of God, His omnipotence, His absolute wisdom, that is impossible to use for selfish and ignorant reasons. With this, it is the power of the Holy Selective Law of God in the format of seven virtues, that is called to destroy the power of death in our body and in its place erect the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and to clothe our bodies in the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man. And therefore, we will look in greater detail the love of God, agape, that flows out of the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which reigns the peace of God and the boundaries of brotherly love. 
And with regard to this, it will be necessary for us to answer four classic questions. We will read them once again. What does scripture say about the origin and essence of the fruit of virtue or brotherly love, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith? Second, what purpose is the love of God that flows from brotherly love called to fulfill in the demonstration of it in our faith? Third, what condition is necessary to fulfill to demonstrate in our faith the fruit of virtue in the love of God? agape and by what signs should we test ourselves for the presence of the love of god agape which flows out of brotherly love so we have uh, read for some time now but we have as much material as we do read and pastor continues to preach to us and this is a very important topic and it is not very easy to go from death to life although with faith we're already there but we must also affirm this in our lives and therefore the first question what does Scripture say about the origin of the essence of brotherly love that we are called to demonstrate in our faith? In Scripture, the selective love of God that discovers itself in brotherly love is known according to the level of uh, the, God's love and His hatred towards those that do evil. Hebrews 1.9, as it is written, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. Evil, or given that evil, expressing itself in men in hatred, coming from the envy and pride of man, and good that expresses itself in men in love that flows from brotherly love, are programs then to love righteousness and hate lawlessness is possible only in its carriers, which are their programmable device. As it is written, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. And here are the results that God has prepared for those whom he despises. He says, Psalms chapter 11, verses 5-7, through 7, Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, and his countenance beholds the upright. Therefore, in order to understand in ourselves the natural essence of God's love emanating from brotherly love, we will need to remember what and whom does God love and what and whom does God hate. Because only by loving that which God loves and hating that which God hates, we are able to be filled with all the fullness of God and to demonstrate in our faith the reaction of God on good and evil. As we have studied who and what God loves, today we are going to be continue to look at and we'll stop to, to study who and what God hates. Therefore, let us quickly remember some of the truths that we have already gone over and then we will move on to the others. And this will then allow us to again understand this truth, what God hates. First, the selective love of God flowing out of the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God rules and the boundaries of brotherly love despises the planting of trees and pillars near the altar. Deuteronomy chapter 16 verses 21 through 22. You shall not plant for yourself any tree as a wooden image near the altar which you build for yourself to the Lord your God. You shall not set up a sacred pillar which the Lord your God hates. So here we are talking about how God hates certain uh, 
trees that were planted upon the altar during the sacrificial offering. And Pastor, very interestingly enough, brought a parallel between the trees and the grove of trees that God does like. This was the grove of trees that Abraham had planted out of the white oak tree. And white oak tree, as we talked about, is uh, refers to our salvation. Noah had made his ark out of this material, and Scripture says that he had saved his household. So that tree that Abraham had planted upon the sacrifice when he had made a covenant with Abimelech that was... Uh, and when they came uh, to this agreement, then Abraham brought a sacrifice, and upon the sacrifice he had brought, he had built this grove of trees. And the Gentiles had also built the grove of trees, but this was not a white oak. This was not salvation. These were evergreen trees. This is the ability to use God here on earth. That's what it represented in order to receive here everything from God on earth, not even thinking or not even considering uh, salvation, not the salvation of our souls, or not the salvation of our bodies. So evergreen trees, they receive everything in a finished format, and they do not even worry, nor are they taught that they have received their spirit, their spirit as a saved spirit, and that the substance of the soul and body is necessary to still save through the spirit. There's very limited time, and if... If he does not have enough time to do this, then he perishes. Those that build these kind of evergreen trees, they did not even comprehend this truth. That's why the teaching is present incorrectly there, because all of these trees are the teachings. Teachings that is present upon a sacrifice. And Abraham understood this correctly. Therefore, if the Gentiles are Israel, they had groves that tried to uh, justify themselves with the works of the law, then, on the contrary, Abraham did not do this. If those groves of trees that the Gentiles had and the Israelites that had followed the Gentiles, if they had tolerant love, then Abraham had, on the contrary, selective love. There was the de democratic structure. Abraham had the theocratic structure from the father to the son, and he had never accepted a democratic structure. If there was something worn on the head, although this is uh, this is not uh, this uh, veil on the head is not a religious thing, and therefore, if a sister does wear a veil on her head and she is obedient to her husband, if she is obedient in the church, if she is obedient at work, if she is obedient on the road, and so forth, then this is an example. But if a sister does not wear a veil and thinks that she is free and does not demonstrate obedience, uh, not in church, not in work, and thinks she is free, then upon her is a spirit of religion. Whatever information, whatever information we have, uh, some people, they wash their feet before communion, one uh, to the other or to themselves, where, as in their hearts, there are there is resentment and bitterness, but we... Upon communion, we repent and forgive. You see, these are different groves of trees that are built upon different sacrifices. And God says that He despised those trees that the Gentiles build, that Gentiles plant. And to plant those that Abraham had built, He said there must be a co cooperation between Abimelech, who is our renewed thinking, with Abraham, our spirit. And when there's this renewal that occurs, or 
when there is this union of these substances of the spirit and soul, and after this, uh, the grove out of white trees is planted. So our land, like the Philistine land, receives salvation, the adoption, and therefore to ask, do I have this promise regarding the adoption? Is this expressed? Do I have a conflict with that word that I hear in the church? Yes, I do. I do have misunderstandings. Okay. All right. Not, not all is lost yet, but you do not have the grove of trees out of white oak. Your heart is not, your body is not adopted. And you can't imitate this conflict. You can't say, yes, yes, I understand everything. Well, the Lord knows. The Lord knows, and you can't trick Him. Second, the selected love of God flowing out of the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God rules and the boundaries of brotherly love, according to its nature, hates those that hate the Lord. Psalms 138, verses 21 through 22. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. These words of hatred. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And Scripture says that hatred and love, he, these are not feelings. Again, for a Christian, love and hatred are not feelings and are not emotions. We must remember this. Love and hatred are not feelings and not emotions. Love and hatred in relation to God is the observance of the commandments of God. This is very important for us to understand. That's where people ask, well, what do you mean that God hates those who hate Him? How do you hate them? Pastor uh, painted this perfectly, that hatred for a Christian means to seize all relations with this person who has left the church and who uh, goes against the church, not just stop fellowship, but even withhold and to depart from this relationship and fellowship. Because sometimes people stop communication and then all of a sudden they go and drink coffee together and that's it. Well, you can't do that. You can't do this. I understand. Some have a smile that, uh, that came upon their face. I did not. This means that it's a living topic. Hatred is to seize fellowship and to depart from it. People say, well, was that hatred? Yes, this is a demonstration of hatred. Third, the selected love of God flowing out of the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God rules and the boundaries of brotherly love despises a person who brings to God a sacrifice of a bull or sheep which has a blemish. Deuteronomy 17.1 You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God a bull or sheep which has any blemish or defect, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. And Pastor had said, what does it mean to bring a bull or sheep that has a blemish. This means to portray our own will for the will of God and our own thoughts for the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And when this does occur, Scripture says that this is an abomination. Pastor said this very interestingly. He said that this occurs when, according to Scripture, a person departs his ear from hearing the law of God and and abominable is his prayer. So a person who departs his ear from hearing the word His prayer, his sacrifice, is an abomination to the Lord. 
For when a person departs from hearing the preached word, then what happens? He portrays the will of God as his will and his own or on the contrary, his will as the will of God and his revelations as revelations of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, a lot of people say, the Holy Spirit has told me this, the Holy Spirit has shown me that, I have seen an angel, I have seen a vision. And we cannot depart our ear from hearing. As soon as I depart my ear from hearing the word of God, my prayer is an abomination. And every time I bring a bull or a sheep, then for me, this is going to be as an abomination. And this is evil. Furthermore, the selected love of God, flowing out of the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God rules and the boundaries of brotherly love, despises a person with diverse weights and dishonest skills. Proverbs chapter 20, verses 22-23 Do not say, I will recompense evil, meaning I will avenge this person. Wait for the Lord, and He will save you. Diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord, and dishonest skills are not good. Here again, pastor brings us from the state of our feelings and emotions when we try to produce some kind of work or some kind of deed in our anger that the anger of a person never creates the righteousness of god what is the anger of man anger of man is that which that role that i want to fulfill which is god's role and god says no being angry do not sin do not give place to the devil allow me to avenge for you give me this prerogative this prerogative is only for gods to avenge. He is an avenger, and you can't avenge for yourselves. How do you give him this role, just like David did? When uh, this was something that regarded the anointed men of God, he right away gave it to the appropriate person. And another place he says to his disciples, being angry, do not sin. And they ask him, well, how is this possible, being angry, not to sin? How do you do this, David? He says very easily, when you were angry, stop. Do not say anything and do not do anything. Simply just reason. Why did this happen? Maybe a person wanted to do something good to the to us and we didn't understand him correctly. I like this illustration. Maybe, maybe someone wanted to do good to us and we didn't understand him correctly. He says, be reasonable or reason on your on your on your beds. Be comforted. Think about it. And then when you do reason regarding this matter, you will be comforted and you will lay your hope and your trust in me. And only then from this position will you proclaim the righteousness and judgments of God. What is human anger? Do they say, I don't have enough time to reason and to give everything into the hands of God. No, I'm going to just right away uh, proclaim my judgments and uh, against this person this is the anger of man it's interesting is that the anger of god also is expressed through us under one condition if we do not express and our emotions do not lead us when we stop when we reason and then when we are comforted with god we trust in god and then god says all right very well now proclaim the judgments of god well lord i don't want to i don't want to punish now he says no now it is time for you to proclaim I don't want to punish. After I have been comforted and I have laid everything on God, now God says, now, this is a wonderful instrument in your hands. Now, speak justice and I will act through you. Pay attention how, what an interesting path occurs. 
Furthermore, the selective love of God flowing out of the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God rules and the boundaries of brotherly love despises a person who is filled with lawlessness and carries the fullness of wickedness. So he is filled, 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 filled. Lawlessness fills and fills and fills. And then all of a sudden there is the fullness of lawlessness. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. These words, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven, there is the fullness of lawlessness in a person. Six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. And therefore, seven components. These are a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and seventh, one who sows discord among brethren. All of this, God says through his word, I despise. And based on the meaning of this parable, for God to deliver us from the seven troubles that we have read about, the carriers of which are wicked and lawless people, we will we will need to get rid of these troubles within our essence, the carriers of which are our uncrucified flesh, which is reigned by sin in the face of our old man. And therefore, all of these seven troubles, they are in the wicked and lawless people, but they also are in us in the face of our old man this reigning sin. In scripture, the number seven is an image in the heart of a person, either the fullness of righteousness in Christ Jesus, made dependent on the truth of the word and the Holy Spirit, revealing the truth in the heart, or the fullness of ungodliness made dependent on the reigning sin and trusting in one's reasonable opportunities. Thus, we have noted that until we do not understand the essence of the misfortune that lives in us or the troubles that get and get rid of the seven troubles inside us, the seven troubles that are outside of us cannot be our enemies, but most likely will be our like-minded people. To be delivered from seven troubles, the carrier of which is our uncircumcised or uncrucified flesh in the face of our old man who lives in our corrupt body, it is necessary to despise them so that with the cross of the Lord Jesus we can die to our nation, the house of our Father, and the corrupt lusts of our soul. And then, to withstand seven troubles yielding the fullness of wickedness with seven virtues of our faith, which yield the fullness of righteousness. These virtues are well known to us, and they open the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And they, again, open the entrance into the kingdom for us. And here are these seven virtues. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, love. And when a person has this, when everything is filled with grace, there is a seal, fully filled with the love of God, agape, brotherly love, agape, covers it. And on the other end, there is a proud look, a lying tongue, a heart that devises evil plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, false witness who speaks lies, and a seventh one who sows discord among brethren. Pay attention. Take a look at the sequence. Here we have brotherly love and love ending, and here one who sows discord among brethren. These are two completely different, uh, two completely different uh, armies fighting with one another. 
And in order to hate the seven troubles, the carriers of which is our uncrucified flesh and the face of our old man who dwells in our corrupt body, it is necessary to define these seven troubles so that we can know them and despise them and then be rid of them by opposing them with the seven virtues of the fruit of righteousness. And therefore, let us again quickly look at all of these seven components of troubles. And so the first component of the fullness of wickedness in man is a proud look. Pastor offers short definitions so that we can define what these could be, what components they can be. And again, we verify ourselves, we test ourselves whether or not we have this in us. Pastor says, yes. If there is an old man, then these are present. Let us discover them because it says here very interestingly enough that if we cannot or through these we can define them and when we define them, only then we can despise them. And after we despise them, then we can be rid of them by opposing them with the seven virtues of the fruit of righteousness that ends with brotherly love and love agape. And therefore, let us again uh, look at these troubles that we must hate. Proud look. Eyes that are proud are proud look is referring to an inner state of the soul that discovers itself on the outside of a person. A proud look is a unique thing. It is the inner state of the soul, the mind of a person that is impossible to hide and that discovers itself in the out and on the outside of a person. Eyes that are proud is an unclean eye, the appearance of impurity, it's an indignant source and a damaged spring. Let us take a look at where this had happened. Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 24. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, again, this eye, eye that it is completely connected to the mind. If the eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. According to the words of Christ, a proud look is the definition of a person who strives to become rich through ways that are against Scripture. So God is not against riches. Pastor showed very interestingly that when a person tries to become rich against Scripture, as soon as a person of God is clothed in perishable riches, the eyes of his heart dim, and he becomes a servant of mammon, because of which his holy body becomes impure. The next component to the fullness of wickedness in man and seven troubles is a lying tongue. In Hebrew, uh, this means cheating, pretense, bay of deadly water, stolen waters, bitter water. Again, bitter water when the word of God is stolen from a messenger of God. This is a lying tongue. Stolen waters, bitter water when we use the word of God. You know, pastor had said, pastor is going to deal with you, we tell our friends. Well, friends, I know pastor. He is never going to deal until a person comes up to him and says, I want to repent. I know. The bitter waters is when you are presented the Father and with some kind of characteristic, say, I've spoke with him, he's going to deal with you. Pastor is never going to deal with anyone unless a person himself comes and says, Pastor, I want to repent. 
bitter water. You don't need to attribute your vices to a man of God. And another person grows afraid. He says, oh, he's going to deal with me. I'm in a deep swamp, a swamp in the seed of lies. And in Hebrew, it is also uh, fertilized by the seed of lies. In Hebrew, the components of a lying tongue unite a person to a woman who is clamorous, loud, and knows nothing. This is talking about the false church. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 13 through 18. A foolish woman or a false church is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. For she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. And therefore she says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. When there's evangelism, they don't say, uh, you foolish, come here. They don't say this. They say, brothers and sisters, praise God, brothers and sisters. They say it with an accent. I can speak in uh, Kazakhstanian, but you won't understand me. And they say and they speak in this way. If you read between the lines, they say, foolish ones, go into our church. And she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, she says. But he who lacks understanding does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. Do not tarry, do not continue to look upon this church. For thus you will pass by the stolen water. And do not drink from the source of stolen water, so that you may live, and so that the days of your life may be added. This parable speaks of the nature of worship of God in which the pagan form is used in the worship of idols which at one time the Israelites were often carried away by. And today, such a pagan form of worship in the Protestant movement is a so-called charismatic movement or false charismatic movement which has nothing to do with true charisma and can never have anything to do with it. Here we can say, amen, if you've been here in these kind of structures before, then you would say, amen, this is so. Psalms chapter 69, verses 2 to 3, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. Because stolen waters, uh, they say, when it is stolen, this is a swamp. You cannot stand and build upon this foundation. This is what is unique about it. Oh, brothers, preach, uh, this is a, a swamp. You cannot build on this foundation. David says, there is nothing to stand upon. You have gone into the waters, the deep waters, and there is a strong current, and it overtakes me. David didn't have these problems. The Holy Spirit said, write those words, because my people are going to pray with your words. Understand the soul of them. He said, speak these words, these are prayer words. They don't need this. They, you don't need this. They need this. I need this because I was there. The next component in the fullness of wickedness in man are hands that shed innocent blood. In scripture, hands that shed innocent blood is a heart that is filled with envy that brings forth hatred. Therefore, hands that shed innocent blood is envy of offense, hostility, hatred, jealousy, resentment, and rage. 
1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Only after we overthrow in our bodies the throne of the old man, the bearer of the program of the fallen cherubim, which contains seven troubles, will we have the opportunity to show hatred in our faith for bearers who have legalized seven troubles in themselves. And this is one of the troubles, is a heart that sheds innocent blood. The next component of the fullness of wickedness in seven troubles is a heart that devises evil plans. In Hebrew, this means to draw and engrave in your heart designs that are not God's designs and to keep your conscience silent, giving her arguments that justify these designs. So when a person is so bitter, he becomes a murderer. He begins to 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 a person does not come and greet him and he says why has he not greeted me he must be so angry against me Satan tries to twist this that a person has already killed him in his head he has already been buried in his head we must understand that a heart that devises evil plans is to draw and engrave in your heart designs that are not God's designs and forcing your conscience to be silent because there are arguments that justify these designs for these people Proverbs chapter 11, Those who are of a perverse heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their ways are His delight. Though they join forces, the wicked will not go unpunished, but the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. So God says, the wicked will not go unpunished, He has promised. Pastor illustrated well here that a sir, uh, so, someone might go out and um, his evil plans that he has devised, he might speak them directly to this person. But this is incorrect and must not be because it is one of the seven troubles. The next component is feet that are swift and running to evil. In Hebrew, this meaning defines a person who places giving the sacrifice of fools higher on the pedestal of priorities than hearing the word. These are fit that run swift to, to evil. People say, I run to church, but scripture says, oh, uh, you are running to evil. In fact, they are feet that run swiftly to evil. Feet that run swiftly to evil is to act hastily, recklessly, thoughtlessly, to be prepared to actively participate in atrocities. Ecclesiastes 5.1 Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they do evil. What does it mean to do evil? Their feet run far to evil or run swiftly to evil. You can run to church but at the same time God will view this as a person who runs swiftly to evil. When we come to church we must come to church we must prepare our heart for what? For hearing the word of God after which there will be sacrifice. And if we have turned our ear away from hearing the word of God, then scripture said that the uh, sacrifice of this person is abominable to God. 
Therefore, everything begins from hearing the word of God and then sacrifice. It is specifically our ability to hear that defines our sacrifice. If I have turned my ear away from hearing the prayer, if I have inclined my ear to hearing the word of God, then our prayer then is uh, good before God. The next component of the fullness of wickedness in man and seven troubles is a false witness who speaks lies in Hebrew. This meaning defines a person whose heart is the atmosphere of the spirit of delusion. A false witness who speaks lies, giving a lie like a truth under an oath. He says, oh, I promise, I've, I've seen this. In the atmosphere for the action of the spirit of delusion, and there are two places of scripture that were offered, Proverbs 19.9, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies shall perish. And Proverbs 21.28 says, a false witness shall perish, but the man who hears him will speak endlessly. Here we should... First, we could read this place of scripture that a person who knows that he knows, he will always speak endlessly. And a false witness will not go unpunished. People say, "I know that this person has sinned, and I and I pass this information along that this person has did this, person hasn't done that, and they don't even understand that this person has already called and repented." I didn't. We don't know if this person has already repented. The scripture says that we are false witnesses. If we speak endlessly, we can't pass along gossip uh, because maybe for five minutes this was the truth, but in ten minutes I am all going to be a false witness. Why? Because this person has already repented and we didn't know, we didn't realize it. Then, if, if so, I am a false witness. And the next component of the fullness of wickedness is a person who sows discord among brethren. In Hebrew, this meaning defines a person whose heart is parted from God and he is sent to an impassable land. Interesting. There, where we came to brotherly love and love, then here where we come to uh, the person who sows discord among brethren, this is the final, the final uh, trouble that demonstrates the fullness of wickedness. It's a person who, discord, who sows discord among brethren. Scripture says that this, uh, that's, that God sends this person away as the goat to Azazel into an impassable land. And therefore, one who discords among, sows discord among brethren is to be sent to an impassable land as the spirit of Azazel or the goat that was sent there in order to carry this discord among the brethren and this is also a divorce letter or a divorced wife this is what this phrase is translated or rather translated to the demeaning of it proverbs chapter 6 verses 12 through 15 a worthless person a wicked man walks with a perverse mouth he winks with his eyes he shuffles his feet he points with his fingers perversity is in his heart he devises evil continually he sows discord therefore his calamity shall come suddenly suddenly he shall be broken without remedy we are talking about how god does want to not want to heal this kind of people in proverbs 10 12 says hatred stirs up strife but love covers all sins And this is a very terrifying component when a person sows discord among their brethren. So these are seven troubles that we had to see in ourselves in order to leave them and to judge them. Let us continue. We are talking about the selective love of God, what God despises. He despises these seven troubles in man. 
so that we can overcome them and can produce seven fruits of virtue. The next one. The selective love of God flowing out of the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God rules and the boundaries of brotherly love despises a person who brings into the house of God the wages of a harlot and the price of a dog for any vowed offering. So when a person brings into the house of God the wages of a harlot and the price of a dog for any vowed offering, Scripture says that God hates this. Proverbs 23.18 You shall not bring the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog to the house of the Lord your God for any vowed offering, for both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. This commandment had a direct application, which was not to bring into the house of God the wages of a harlot who is trying by her own gift to receive the favor of God. The image of a harlot are those that are a part of the category of the woman who sit on a scarlet beast. Revelation 17, chapter 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon on Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth, where all the image of dogs are people who fall into the category of evildoers. Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Therefore, to bring into the house of God, which is our heart, the wages of a harlot and the price of a dog, is to legalize in our heart their way of life and to show a tolerant attitude towards them. However, in order to distinguish between the image of the harlot and the image of the dog, posing as the bride of the lamb, from the true image of the bride of the lamb, we will need to consider, at least briefly, where does the harlot sit pretending to be the bride of the lamb, and what reason does she have for it? Also, where does the bride of the lamb sit, and what foundation does she have under her? And let's start with the bride of the lamb. The foundation that the bride of the lamb has underneath is the twelve foundations of the wall of Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 21, verses 14 and 27. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. But there shall by no means enter in anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are writ in the Lamb's book of life. The throne on which the bride of the Lamb sits is the throne of the Lord Jesus in heaven. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5-7 through And we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So, what have I understood from this? That the foundation for the bride are the twelve uh, foundations of the truth of God, and it is she also sits with Christ on the throne. And let us look at the foundation on the throne of people who belong to the category of harlot and dog. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication.
And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of martyrs of Jesus. It looks at where these are, where her tre treasures were. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has a seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is and is not, and yet is. Here is a mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. They are the seven demonic princes. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. Five fell upon the time of Christ. One is at the time of Apostle Paul, and the other has not yet come. This is our time when the, re the resurrection of Christ comes and we will be raptured. And when he comes, he must continue a shortened time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and going to perdition. Why eight? Uh, there's seven princes, seven princes, a full copy of God at the church of Jesus Christ overcomes the seventh one. Well then, who then is going to come out into the arena? Christ is coming with a church. Out of these seven, uh, the fifth one at the time of Christ, he went down the false uh, the false church gave him power and he will rise like an antichrist and then he can't go into hell one other time because he will go into the lake of a lake of fire with a false prophet the beast and the false prophet they were in the times of the antichrist and they learned the character of church in christ and they will both return and they then they will both go into hell oh excuse me not hell but into the lake of fire because a man can only end up there once then he goes into the lake of fire. So the beast, the false prophet, he is going to be given two chances, and the second chance they're going to lose in the face of Jesus Christ when he will judge the Antichrist along with his church, whom he will come with. And the beast that was and is not is himself, which also the eighth, and is of the seven, and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. They are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And so if the foundation of the Bride of Christ is the twelve precious foundations of the walls of Jerusalem, which determine the theocratic structure of the kingdom of heaven within the borders of the reigning doctrine of Christ, then the foundation of a harlot is a democratic structure in the image of many waters representing peoples, tribes, and tongues. If the throne of the Bride of the Lamb, on which they sit with Christ, is the throne of God and the Lamb, then the throne of the harlot is a scarlet beast in the desert, which is full of blasphemous names with seven heads and ten horns. Here it is written, 
So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The scarlet beast in the human body represents reigning sin. Again, we're going to the image of what is going on in the church and to uh, what is happening in our body. So it represents a reigning sin yielding the old man and the bear of the sinful and seductive program of the fallen cherub. And outside the human body, the scarlet beast is a category of people trying to use the principles of faith to master corruptible riches, while the principles of faith are given for the possession of imperishable riches. The principles of faith are given for the possession of imperishable riches. The image of the desert in which John saw the woman sitting on a scarlet beast is a fake for sanctification. He led her into the wilderness, and where did she see this woman? This represents fake for sanctification in the form of today's encounter embedded in the structure of the Protestant movement, leaders of a false charismatic sense. While for the true wife, the bride of the Lamb, the image of the desert representing the truth of sanctification gives God the basis to fulfill the promise relating to the door of our hope expressed in a meeting with the Lord in heaven. And here is another wilderness. Here he saw the harlot, the false uh, false sanctification. A few days you're sanctified, you're ready to go and teach others. But no, here is where is the bride of the Lamb in the wilderness. Those are the ones that will go uh, with two wings into the wilderness. But here we're going to talk about the bride of the Lamb that is going to be in the wilderness before this sanctific- before uh, before this rapture. This is a sanctification that is offered us today. Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness, and speak comfort to her. Carlets also say, I want to also be sanctified, but only in three days. But no, this doesn't work. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Acre as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. The promise itself consists in the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ, in which our body from an unearthly state will be changed into the state of heaven. To see in the scarlet beast reigning sin in the human body, it is enough to turn to one of the scriptures. Here, Pastor continually focuses our attention, not in the political strictures, uh, political structures, but he wants us to look into our essence, because it is found first and foremost in us, this scarlet beast. Let us read about it. Let us discover him, this scarlet beast inside of us. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16 through 23. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If they are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. 
your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. When Apostle John saw the image of a harlot and dog already not in the body of a man, but in the body of a great harlot who is in the midst of the people of God, he marveled at the great surprise. He says in Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 through 18, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? He wrote an image to us. He saw the service. Service is that worships God. And he says, This is a harlot. Everything is stolen there. They steal the truth of the messengers of God. They have success because they took take their goods and treasures and give it as their name. They say, why do you need democracy? Uncover your potential. Use faith in order to become rich. And at the same time, there are certain principles. And they gather. And this entices people, like it entices people into a store. The angel said to me, The beast that you saw was and is and will ascend out of the bottomless pit, the angel says, and go to perdition, the Antichrist. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. This is the Antichrist. And one The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. For those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said, The waters which you saw, where the harlot sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw in the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his promise to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled and the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth therefore the scarlet beast wearing the great harlot has seven heads and ten horns this is the fifth king from among the seven kings who led the crucifixion of Christ so the seven princes and out of them the fifth one apostle Paul says the fifth one had left right now is a sixth one and then will come the seventh one it will not and then when all seven demons during the time of rapture are going to be thrown into the pit now from there from hell only one can come out from there he's going to say who's going to come out and the one that had was present in the crucifixion of christ is going to say i'm going to take the christ i'm going to take the chance to overcome christ and he will say to the false prophet come with me and the depth will 
come out in the false religion that will come. The harlots will be destroyed, but there will be a super religion that will bring all other religions to nothing. And Muslims and Christians and Judaism, it will stomp on and trample on everything. There will be a kind of religion that is going to trample on everything and burn everything. When these two uh, come out, he received uh, Hula the, this is the fifth king uh, who received a mortal wound on the cross of Golgotha but by the time of the rapture and the bride of the lamb his mortal wound will be healed and he will again challenge not Christ but the remnant chosen by God some will say well we're not going to go we're going to lose who was with Christ this fifth one was I was with Christ I saw how he died I saw his eyes and I uh, whispered in his ear I had learned of him i know him i can imitate him completely and people are going to bow down before me the antichrist is the one who places himself in the place of christ once when there was in the very beginning there was a division in the church then people these preachers came out and said i am also an anointed man of god they said to pastor what do you have are you anointed of god no i am anointed are you i'm also but you're anointing is given in order to define where is truth and where is false. And my anointing is given to tell you where is truth and where is false. Do you understand this? And they, with the noise, a huge group of people had left. My relatives, all of them, they all went when that first wave to their place that is being prepared for them. I'm very unfortunate. Anointed people of God, they call themselves. Therefore, the seven heads of the beast is the fullness of wickedness opposed to the seven horns and seven eyes of the Lamb, representing in the body of Christ the fullness of perfection that meets the requirements of the perfection of the Heavenly Father. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the altar stood a Lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. This is Satan that had also seen this. The seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. The ten horns in the form of the ten kings that have not yet received a kingdom and who will take power with the beast like kings for one hour. This is the image of the holiness of God and the dignity of the doctrine, stipulating the essence of the law of Moses, condemning the harlot and giving power to sin. This power will be used by the beast for one hour to expose and denounce the harlot. Sometimes people can say, how can the law of a spiritual law give power to sin? How does the law of Moses give power to sin? What is this? You know, a few sermons ago, I had written for myself this. What the law of Moses means, the holy spiritual law that gives power to sin. This, for me, was like a thunder during a clear day. Pastor said, he didn't preach, but he said, he said that the law, when it discovers the old man in us, he gives power to decay and death. We grow old and we die. Satan says, I don't need to do anything. I just need to make it so that a person sins. The rest, the law of God does. He needs to do one thing so that we sin and fall. And then the law, the law of the Holy God will do the rest of the work 
the law of Moses, when it discovers sin, it brings to decay and death, to illnesses and curses. And Satan has learned this. He says, what is your holy law says? What is your holy law said? Man has sinned. Please fulfill your law since you are strong in your word, God. And God says, I can't do anything. And Israel, millions and millions, is destroyed. The power of sin is the law because the law of Moses, if it discovers sin, if it discovers the old man, then he gives power to decay and to death. That's why when they say, what does it mean gives power to sin? How can God give power to sin? God doesn't give power. He gave the law. And until you tell these people, dear friends, why would you not take this law that the devil uh, pounces on? And why not why not tear it, tear off its head? And then devil's like, oh, you're, you're understanding something. Yes, Goliath, Goliath said, for sin is death, you are going to die, you're going to decay. David says, well, yes. He went to the brook, he took the word of the teaching of Christ, and then he went and destroyed. And what did he do? He took that weapon that the old man relied on, and he killed him, because this weapon was not against us, the children of God, sinners, but it was against the old man. It turns out that the law was against the sinner with the old man until we understand that that weapon that Goliath had, it was given in order to destroy Goliath. We think, oh, what kind of weapon? When David said, he saw, uh, he's, he said, there is no better weapon. Therefore, when the old man holds on to the law through our uh, lack of knowledge to hold on to the law is uh, means that we have not inclined our ear to hear and we don't know that that weapon that is in Goliath's hand is our salvation the law of Moses is our salvation and when the devil says thank you for your law let him go sick let him plagues come upon him I say Lord I thank you for the law of Moses you thinking for the law of grace when we start talking about the old man we say Lord thank you for the law of holy Moses for the holy law and I proclaim the holy judgments of God upon the old man because this weapon was meant for the sinner, for the old man. That's why through the preached word I have received this word. We take the sword and we then cut off his head. And here it says that they had received power for one hour. And this one hour is the time meant to expose and denounce the harlot. The same way the time is in the same way the time that was meant for Christ to sacrifice himself to God was designed by one hour. When God gives legal rights to act, Christ says, I have come for this one hour. I have not come to resurrect, to heal you, to anoint you, to feed you, to pet you on the head. He said, I came for one hour. For one hour. Lord, what is this? My goal is to die and to not pet you on the head to not heal you because you then are going to yell crucify crucify him i have come only for one hour and when i go up again on the cross i am going to take you all back together with me now my soul is troubled and what shall i say says christ father save me from this hour but for this purpose i came to this hour father glorify your name he says then a voice came from heaven saying i have both glorified it and will glorify it again 
Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the rule of this world will be cast out. And I, so out of the seven, who then uh, is going to be then that eighth one. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. To summarize these components in which we are called not to accept the wages of the harlot and price for the dog in our heart, which is the house of God, it follows that if we do not move away from such assemblies in which sin is legalized, in which people perform unauthorized services based on the desires of flesh, then we do not accept the wages of the harlot and price for the dog in our heart, which is the house of God. Or on the contrary, if we do move away from such assemblies, then that means that we do not accept the wages of the harlot. Second Peter chapter 2 says, These are the wells without water, clouds carried away by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person was overcome, by him he is also brought into bondage. Let this not just be a slogan. These are wonderful words. May you be blessed in your prayers. And we will pray.
и находится за облаками в небесах, они также находят свое место на небосклоне нашего сердца. Мы благодарим Тебя, Господь, за это каждое обетование, которое мы можем увидеть тогда, когда мы перестанем сработать с гордыми глазами и начнем рассматривать, Господь, Твои обетования Твоими глазами. А для этого, Господь, мы признали в свое время себя слепыми и понуждались, Господь, в том, чтобы Ты мог вести нас и научить нас Твоим истинам. Мы благодарим Тебя, Господь, за эту чудную слепоту, когда мы слепнем для греха и для этого мира, и когда, как Самсон, Ты выкалываешь нам глаза, для того, чтобы мы могли, Господь, теперь видеть то невидимое обетование, которое Ты для нас предназначил. Благодарю Тебя, Господь, что до тех пор, пока эти глаза гордые не будут выкованы, Ты не позволишь нам видеть то обетование, и Ты не позволишь дать Израилю полную победу воцарения воскресения Христова, которому предшествует полное поражение царствующего греха в нашем теле. Мы благодарим Тебя, Господь, за то, что наше сердце не кует злые помыслы, коварные помыслы. Мы избавляемся от всяких обид. Если кого-то, Господь, мы обижали, мы каемся в этом, мы сожалеем, Господь, этому. И мы не соглашаемся больше воспроизводить разные изображения в своем разуме, мести, злобы, ненависти. Мы сразу убиваем ненависть в своем естестве, а ненависть в своем естестве всегда начинается с зависти. Поэтому, Господь, позволь, чтобы зависть не перешла в ненависть, и ненависть не перешла в убийство, поэтому позволь нам, Господь, убийство и ненависть убить в самом корне, который называется зависть в сердце христианина. Позволь нам, Господь, не завидовать. Мы избавляемся, Господь, от этого корня, от этого корня, да будет он проклят в корне, всякая зависть, да будет проклята в корне, чтобы она не смогла воспроизвести ненависть и братоубийство. Всякое подозрение, да будет проклято оно в корне во имя Иисуса Христа. Мы отрекаемся, Господь, и мы высвобождаем Твой суд Божий на все эти семь бед. Мы не будем больше, Господь, ковать в своем сердце эти злые помыслы. Наши ноги не будут бежать на зло, наши руки не будут проливать кровь, Наш язык не будет говорить горечь. Мы благодарим Тебя, Господь, что наши слова будут сладкими для наследия Твоего и приятными для уха, потому что мы будем возвещать Твою правду и утешение для святого народа Твоего. Позволь нам, Господь, не ранить друг друга. Позволь нам, Господь, никогда ничего не говорить и не действовать в гневе в человеческом. Позволь нам, Господь, рассудить на ложах наших. Позволь нам, Господь, переложить наше упование на Тебя и утешиться Тобою, а потом произвести и исповедовать Твои праведные суды на нечестие и на беззаконие, которое есть как в естестве человека в лице ветхого человека, также Господь и в церкви Твоей. Очисти, Господь, наследие Твое. Яви, Господь, свои силы и свою правду. Мы молим Тебя, Господь, чтобы Ты мог явить и удовлетворить свою святость. И мы молим Тебя, Господь, прежде, нежели Ты, удовлетворять свою святость. Яви на милость Твою, покровный Господь облаком Твоим. Мы благодарим Тебя, Господь, что мы скрываемся в милости в Твоей, когда находимся под покровом Твоим. Позволь нам, Господь, никогда не подвергать сомнению Твои божественные авторитеты, представленные в виде Твоей личности, Бога, Сына, Отца и Святого Духа. Позволь нам, Господь, никогда не подвергать авторитету Слова Божьей и учению Иисуса Христа. Позволь нам, Господь, никогда не подвергать сомнению авторитеты Твоих святых помазанников, посланных Божьих, обреченных достоинства отцовства, которые представляют, Господь, для нас Слово Твое и заповеди Твои, постановления Твои. 
Позволь нам, Господь, никогда не подвергать сомнению авторитет Церкви Божьей, Твоего Сиона. Мы ревнуем, Господь, о Твоей Церкви, мы любим, Господь, Твою Церковь, и мы никогда не подвергаем сомнению ни Церковь, ни каждого святого в Церкви. Мы любим наследие Божие. Если, Господь, кто-то из нас пал, мы верим, Господь, что ты дашь силу подняться. И мы не будем приносить худые слухи друг о друге, потому что сегодня это правда, а завтра это будет ложь. Позволь нам, Господь, говорить только доброе друг о друге, то доброе, которое ты говоришь. Мы отрекаемся, Господь, от всякого самосуя. Мы предлагаем, Господь, чтобы ты мог мстить, потому что это прерогатива Бога. Мы не мстим за себя, Господь, мы не мстим. Но мы передаем, Господь, этот суд Тебе. Передаем, Господь, когда мы утешаемся Тобою и успокаиваемся в Тебе. И когда Ты увидишь, что мы успокоились и утешились Тобою, и переложили все упование на Тебя, потом Ты говоришь, а теперь, Сын, припаяшься и провозгласи правду Иисус. И, Господь, мы провозглашаем правду Иисус в сердце, в котором находится полный покой, и продолжаем, Господь, Твой суд на ветхого человека, на державу смерти, которая представлена в виде ветхого человека в нас. Мы продолжаем суд, Господь, над блудницей, над Вавилоном Великим, который является матерью всякого нечестия. Но прежде, Господь, прежде, нежели мы произнесем этот суд, мы молим Тебя, Господь, во имя Иисуса Христа, Позволь избранным Твоим, которые находятся в Вавилоне, выйти из него. Позволь, Господь, избранным Твоим, которые находятся в Вавилоне, бежать из него. Не просто выходить, Господь, а теперь уже бежать из него. Мы молим Тебя, Отец, яви милость Твою. Яви милость Твою, Господь, перед тем, как Ты обрушишь свою святость и свое негодование и испепелишь огнем ярости своей Вавилон. Мы молим Тебя, Господь. Избавь их, как никогда Ты избавил Лота. Выведи их с поспешностью, Господь. Выведи их, Господь. Мы молим Тебя, Господь, за них. Выведи. Мы молим Тебя, Господь. Теперь встань во славе своей. Наклони небеса и поспеши ко святым Твоим. Мы молим Тебя, Господь, теперь удовлетвори свою святость во святых Твоих и в церкви Твоей. И осуди великую любодейцу, которая была напоена кровью твоих святых. Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа мы молим. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask you, we ask you to satisfy your holiness and to judge and condemn her that is filled with the blood of your apostles and prophets, who has been adorned by silver and gold and precious stones, who had mixed the divine with what is humanly, attributing the virtues of your messengers to herself and attributing her vices to them. We ask you, Lord, the time has come to stand and to satisfy or quench your holiness and to destroy her with the fire of your holiness. But first, allow your chosen remnants that are found there to run, to flee from this Babylon. We thank you for your great mercy, your mercy that we gain in which we are found in Christ Jesus. We thank you that our foundation are the 12 precious 
stones. You have allowed us to enter through the precious stones or through the pearly gates and to then have the tree of life that brings its fruit in its time. We believe, Lord, that the tree of life that is found in us, it is going to bring that fruit that is going to be necessary. And you know what standards your church must have at the time in which you will clothe her in the resurrection of Christ. We ask you so that tree of life that was grown in the heart of your saints could offer, could bring fruit in its time and to prepare them to meet with the Lord. We thank you for this great promise and we continue, Lord, to affirm it. And we continue to thank you for the resurrection of Christ that is found and that has its place in our spirit. We thank you that have allowed us to save our souls renewing our thinking with the spirit of our mind and through the proclamation to adopt our bodies with the proclamations of the redemption of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that today in these bodies upon this earth that is called the Philistine land but is now becoming the land of Israel for there to be planted white oak trees, groves of salvation. We ask you for that salvation that is found in the oak, for it to also, that is found in our spirit to to spread into our soul and body and so that the joy of your salvation, this unblemished joy, the joy of salvation, having its place in our spirit, having today its place in our soul, can also spread into our bodies. May the bodies of your saints be filled with the joy of salvation. And we ask you for that joy for your salvation could rid us of all decay, illnesses, and symptoms of illness. We thank you and we rejoice for that which we have in Christ Jesus. We thank you for justification that we have received as a gift of grace in Christ Jesus. We thank you that we, due to the fact of our birth, are righteous. Although we do not practice works of righteousness, Lord, but you have said that the righteous must practice works of righteousness. Therefore, Lord, we call the inexistent as existent. We consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, and you impute this to us as righteousness, and you now allow us to grow in that righteousness which you have placed in our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that the time will come when the inexistent will become existent. When we will no longer need to consider ourselves dead to sin, we will be dead to sin. We won't need to consider that we love God, we will love God. And we will serve God. We ask you, Lord, for the time to come for us to walk in a firm that which Enoch had done when he had gave, given birth to the one who banishes death, to walk and affirm your, your word and to be a light to this world. We thank you for that multifaceted truth that you reveal to us from different angles and you have allowed us to write it to engrave it in our hearts so that the one who reads can easily read it and for this Lord for you to easily read it we ask you to fill your anointed you're anointed one with revelation because without your revelation and without our inclined ear, you will never be able to read any promise in our heart clearly. 
We ask you, Lord, for you to fill it with that revelation that you would want to clearly read in our hearts. And we are going to wait for it with trembling and with an inclined ear so that our prayer cannot be an abomination before your countenance. May your name be blessed, our Almighty Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Amen. We will conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen.